the song we just heard, Landslide, happens to be a favorite of mine. I've been wanting to use it in a sermon for a long time. And aren't we glad we have musicians who can pull off this music with such skill and poignancy? Stevie Nicks wrote the song back in 1973, during a season of impending change in her life. At 27 years old, she was in an on-again, off-again romance with guitarist Lindsey Buckingham. She was trying to decide whether to go back to school or stick with her music career. And she was struggling a bit in her relationship with her father, who'd been a strong presence in her life. As she tells it, she was sitting in a hotel room in Aspen, Colorado, looking out the window at the snow-capped mountains. And it felt to her as if her whole life could come crashing down around her at any moment, like a landslide. It's a song about change how quickly it can come, how dramatically it can alter the landscape of our lives, and how unsettling it can be. She articulates the complicated relationship we all have with change. I've been afraid of changing, she sings, because I've built my life around you. But time makes you bolder, even children get older, and I'm getting older too. We get used to the way things are. We're comfortable with the life we know who we are, where we are, what we're doing. The future is untried and uncertain. At the same time, we know things can't stay the same forever. The times change and we need to move on. I actually chose this song for the father-daughter dance at Kelly's wedding reception 13 years ago. As she and I shuffled our way around the floor that night, there was a part of me that wanted the song to never end. And on the one hand, I was excited for her and the new life she was beginning with a fine young man. At the same time, I knew our relationship was about to enter a new chapter. And I kind of liked the old one. And maybe that's the scariest thing of all. Most changes aren't just about a change in circumstance. They usually involve a change in us, in who we are, where we belong, what our life is all about. I think about the change we experience when we go from student to wage earner, or from wage earner to retiree. Our sense of identity, of purpose, of belonging, they all have to shift. Or the change from single to married, or from married to single. How about a move from one part of the country to another, or from one country or culture to another, as many of you have done? Even the change from one church or religious tradition to another. These kinds of changes can feel like a landslide, bringing down all that's familiar. And we wonder who we'll be and what life will be like on the other side of it all. For three weeks now, we've been turning to the scripture to find wisdom for handling the seasons of our lives. And in particular, we're thinking about the changes that September will bring to our school and work and family life and the changes that a senior pastor transition will bring to our church life. Now, I know we've talked a lot about the pastoral transition the past few weeks because it's been a focus of this series, but I want you to know we're going to set that aside as we head into the fall season. As I've pointed out more than a few times, I'm not done yet. We've got an important and exciting year ahead of us, and I am eager to get to it. Next Sunday, we have a 
great guest speaker coming on the subject of faith and work for Labor Day weekend. And then we'll kick off our new year with Vision Week and Campus Sundays on September 10th. But today, we'd like to close out this series by considering the final phase of the change process. We've compared change to a high-flying trapeze act, letting go of one bar, reaching for the next, and then taking hold of it and swinging into the future. Now, I often said that when you preach at Grace Chapel, you better do your homework. Because no matter what topic you happen to be speaking on, chances are there's someone in the congregation who did their PhD or wrote a book on that subject. And sure enough, I got an email this week from someone in the congregation who actually was a trapeze artist. She's actually a friend of ours named Carolyn, who was a longtime member of our Lexington campus and now is part of our online community. Now, we went back and forth on about it this week and And listen to what she writes here. I've been blown away at how God is speaking to me through the messages in this current series, especially since I used to do flying trapeze. I moved to Tennessee in the summer of 2021 after retiring from teaching middle school science for 28 years. I feel like I'm in an in-between time. I had always held on to my familiar teaching and coaching roles, but I don't know the bar I'll grab onto in the future. I'm unsure and somewhat fearful. Well, you can hear her struggling with her sense of identity and purpose and and even belonging. (laughs) You don't have to be a trapeze artist to, to know that feeling of being up in the air with nothing to hold on to. We've all been afraid of changing. But Carolyn goes on to say, after watching Leah's sermon, God helped me understand that the transition zone doesn't have to be a void. It can be a time and place where real change and growth occurs. And that's what we're going to discover today, that we don't have to be afraid of change. Because with Christ, every change is an opportunity to be changed and to become the person God's calling us to be. Uh, So let's begin, as we have each week, in that ancient book of wisdom called Ecclesiastes. And then we'll jump to the New Testament and meet someone who experienced change that felt every bit like a landslide. So let's begin in Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at a passage we considered briefly back in week one, because I really think it's the key to understanding the whole book. So it's set up in the opening lines of chapter three. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. As King Solomon looks back on his full and checkered life, he catalogs all the changes we experience as human beings. Some chosen, some forced on us by time or circumstance. And after naming 30 such life experiences, from weeping to laughing, from gathering to scattering, he goes on to reflect on the meaning of it all. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He's asking the same questions the songwriter's asking when she sings, can I sail through the changing ocean tides? Can I handle the seasons of my life? 
What's the point of all this activity and change? Who will I be and where will I be on the other side of this journey called life and the landslide called death? There's a burden and a mystery to all of it. But as we pointed out in week one, that word burden could also be understood as opportunity. As in, I have seen the opportunity God has laid on the human heart in all these changing times and seasons. It's the opportunity to do life with God or without God. God is present in all the experiences of life, and so we have the opportunity to experience those things with Him or without Him. In fact, we experience even more of these things when we choose to do them with God. That's what this word eternity is all about. It's not just about more time. It's about more beauty, more meaning, more connection. And isn't that what we all want? No one comes to the end of their life and says, I wish it had been shorter. I wish I'd seen less of the world. I wish I'd loved people less. No, we want more because we were made for more. We were made for eternity. We were made for God. So every human experience, every life change comes with an opportunity to do it with God or without God, to experience more or experience less. Listen to the rest of the passage. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. God does it so that people will fear him. Life is a gift, the writer says, and I, th I think we'd all agree. But if life is a gift, there must be a giver. And, and with that gift comes an invitation. It's the difference between finding a diamond ring and being given a diamond ring. Finding a ring means you're lucky. Being given a ring means you're loved and are being invited into a relationship. God does it so that people will fear him, Solomon says. So that people will seek him and find him and trust him. And so it is with every change that comes our way. The change from student to wage earner or wage earner to retiree. From single to married or married to single. From this state or country to that state or country. From this church or that pastor to another one. Every change comes with an invitation to experience more or less, to do life with God or without God. And when we do it with God, we find it's not only our circumstance that changes, we change too. We become a little bit more of the person or the family or the church that God intends us to be. But to better understand that, let's meet someone who experienced a landslide of change in his own life and, and then set in motion a landslide of change in the world around him. Now, if you haven't guessed yet, I'm talking about the man we call Paul from the New Testament. Let's catch up with him in one of his letters, uh, Philippians chapter 3. In this section of the letter, he's reflecting on the dramatic change that has taken place and continues to take place in his life. But whatever to it was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, that's a lot to absorb, and we're not going to be able to look at all of it. But as we consider what happened to Paul, we're going to see the three phases of change unfolding in his experience. And it begins with a letting go of the past. Listen again to what he says. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul is saying, in effect, whatever I was holding on to before I met Christ, I have now let go of. And it turns out that Paul, or Saul, as he was known at the time, had a lot to let go of. In the previous verses, he reminds the readers of his past. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. There was a time in his life when the man named Saul seemed to have all the right stuff. He had the right pedigree, born not only to the chosen people of Israel, but, but to one of the two faithful southern tribes, the tribe of Benjamin. He had the right credentials, having kept the law from his very earliest days. He had the right connections, belonging to the most highly regarded sect of Judaism, the Pharisees. And he had the right resume, having demonstrated his commitment to the cause by chasing down infidels and throwing them in prison. Make no mistake, Saul the Pharisee had a lot to hold on to as he made his way through life. What he didn't have, though he didn't know it at the time, was a right relationship with God. His faith was in himself, in his knowledge and connections and accomplishments and zeal. At best, he was a religious extremist. At worst, he was an accomplice to murder. At one point, he stood by and held the cloaks of men who stoned Stephen to death. But something happened to Saul on his way to round up Christians in Damascus. He had an encounter with Christ that knocked him off his high horse, blinded his eyes, and then opened them to the truth about himself and about Jesus. Uh, the truth that he, Saul, was a haughty, violent, self-righteous hypocrite, and that Jesus, who he was persecuting, was the Son of God who'd come into the world to save and change people like him. That day, a landslide brought it all down for Saul. The self-reliant, self-righteous self Pharisee, and it cleared the way 
for him to become, over time, Paul, the spirit-filled preacher and missionary who changed the course of human history. Now talk about a change. That's one high-flying trapeze act. And it began when Saul the Pharisee let go of the familiar and comfortable life he'd been holding on to. He threw it away, he says, considering it rubbish. Then he began reaching forward toward the new life that that God was swinging his way, a new sense of identity and purpose and belonging, energized by his faith in Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ, he says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul decided that whatever life had in store for him, triumph, suffering, even death and what was beyond that, he wanted to experience it with Christ. Now, the change didn't happen overnight. Though we sometimes get the impression it all happened in that one encounter on the Damascus Road. But at that point, Saul was just entering into the reaching forward phase of the change process, which we sometimes call the neutral zone. According to his letter to the Galatians, Paul left Damascus after a few days and disappeared into Arabia for something like three years. Now, we're not told much about what happened during those years, but we assume them to be years of study and reflection, of letting go and reaching forward, before he finally returns to Damascus and eventually to Jerusalem to meet the apostles and take hold of his new life, swinging into the future that God had prepared for him. Uh, Let's read on in Philippians 3, verse 12, and you'll see what I mean. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Paul wants more. (laughs) Having taken hold of this new life he's found with Christ, he wants more. Now, he has no idea what might happen next at this point in his life. He could very well be executed for his faith and his life could end. Or he could be released to fulfill his dream of taking the gospel to Spain. Either way, he's not done growing. He's not done changing. He wants to continue becoming the person God has called and created him to be. So he continues letting go of familiar and comfortable things in order to take hold of new and greater things. And then he challenges his readers and us to do the same. Did you catch it in verse 15? All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. All of us. In other words, once you've chosen to do life with God, once you understand that every change is an opportunity to be changed, don't stop. 
Don't stop changing. Don't stop growing. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. It'll soon be here. It'll be here better than before. Yesterday's gone. Yesterday's gone. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I just couldn't resist a another Fleetwood Mac tune. And Paul tells his readers and us to never stop letting go, reaching forward, and taking hold of more. So now we've come full circle because this is what Solomon was talking about back in Ecclesiastes 3 when he told us that God has set eternity in the human heart. This longing for more, more beauty, more meaning, more connection is in fact a longing for Christ because the more we know of Christ, the more fully we experience all of these things in this life and in the life to come. So let's try to pull all this together. What does all this mean for us on a practical and personal level? As we stand on the threshold of a new season that's sure to bring all kinds of changes to our lives and our church. Well, it means we don't have to be afraid of change because with Christ, every change is an opportunity to be changed and to become the person God is calling us to be. That's the reason God allows change to come into our lives. It's the reason there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Because every change is an opportunity to be changed and become the person God's calling us to be. Well, a funny thing happened to me as I was working on this sermon. After spending a couple of days in Philippians 3, working through the commentaries, trying to put my words and ideas together, it began to sound familiar, like I had taught on this passage and these ideas before. But when? <laughs> and, and, and after a short time, I remembered. This was the passage I preached on the Sunday that I candidated for the senior pastor position at Grace Chapel. I went to my old school filing cabinet, and sure enough, I found the manuscript. Grace Chapel, May 5th, 2000. Title, Glory Days. Text, Philippians 3, 7 through 16. Some of you are here for that sermon. As I read through the sermon, I remember challenging the Grace Chapel congregation not to get stuck in the past. And yes, I threw in a little Bruce Springsteen. It's always been about classic rock. I challenged the congregation not to rest on their many decades of spiritual growth and kingdom impact, but, but like the Apostle Paul, to reach for more personally and, and corporately. You can't take hold of the future, I said, if you're still clinging to the past. You need a vision that exceeds your grasp. It's not exactly let go, reach forward, and take hold, but it's pretty close. But that sermon and that season wasn't just about what God was doing at Grace Chapel. It was about what God was doing in me. In the sermon, I went on to share the story of my childhood faith and my love for the church and my call to ministry, a story you've all heard too many times now. And how at 40-something years old, 
After 16 years as a pastor and more sermons than I cared to remember, I found myself asking, what now? Let me, let me read you a few lines right from the manuscript. What's left to learn about following Christ? How much more is there to discover in the Bible? What else does God want me to do for the kingdom? I'm still a young man, right? Lord willing, I've got at least 20 more years in ministry and three or four more decades to follow Christ. How will I maintain a sense of wonder and passion all those years? I was struggling with those questions in that season of my life and sensing that a landslide of one sort or another might be coming. And as I researched and reflected on the text in Philippians 3, I realized that Paul wasn't just letting go of his pre-Christian past. He was letting go of his Christian past, of all that he experienced and accomplished in his nearly three decades of following Christ, the churches he'd planted, the sermons he'd preached, the hardships he'd endured. He was letting go of all of it so he could take hold of more. And that's what I wanted at that point in my life and ministry. So after some months of wrestling, Karen and I came to believe that it was time for us to do a similar thing, to let go of the life we knew and take hold of the opportunities swinging our way at Grace Chapel. And in the 23 years since, God has done immeasurably more than I could have asked or imagined. I've grown not only as a pastor, I've grown as a husband and as a father, as a neighbor and a friend, and more importantly, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Grown in ways I don't think I would have grown had I held on to the familiar and comfortable life and ministry we knew at the time. And I am deeply grateful to God and to you for that opportunity. And I'm sensing it may once again be time for that kind of change for me and for Grace Chapel. A, a time to, to let go and, and reach forward and take hold of whatever future God is calling us to. We don't know exactly what it is yet, but we've, we've got the next nine or ten months to get ready for it. In fact, we decided that our ministry theme for the year is going to be new beginnings preparing for what's next. Because we believe this year is about the future, not the past, and that the, the new thing God wants to do is already on the way. So let's ask ourselves a couple of questions as we wrap up this series and get ready for September. Then I have one more cool thought to share with you as we close. First, what might you need to let go of this fall in order to reach and take hold of something new? Now, now, maybe like Saul the Pharisee, there are some dark things you need to let go of. Sins or failures or regret or shame or pain or wrong-headed ideas about who God is and what he wants for you and from you. Or maybe like Paul the Apostle, you need to let go of some good things, successes, accomplishments, learnings, victories. Now, the beauty of following Christ is that we are never limited by our past. 
no matter how painful or wonderful it may have been. We can always reach for more. He offers forgiveness and healing and growth and the freedom to begin again through faith in his life, death, and resurrection. So what familiar habit or activity or attitude or relationship might you need to let go of in order to experience something new this year? And secondly, what new thing might you need to reach for as we head into the new year? Maybe you want to grow in your knowledge of the scriptures or in your connection to the church in your service to the world, in your love for your family or friends or neighbors or enemies. There will be all kinds of opportunities swinging your way this year to grow, to love, to serve, to connect. But you have to reach for them and take hold of them when they show up. Because any trapeze artist will tell you if you miss the moment, you might end up falling into the net or hanging onto a bar that's slowly losing its swing. And speaking of trapeze artists, there's one more thought Carolyn shared with me that I'd like to leave with you. She reminded me that most of the time, there's a catcher on the next trapeze bar, ready to catch the flyer, after they've let go of the bar and had been swinging in midair. And so it is with all the changes we experience in life, because we have a catcher too. His name is Jesus. Do you remember what Paul said? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And this catcher has promised to be there, not just most of the time, but all of the time, through all the changes and seasons and even the landslides of life. But here's the thing my friend tells us. When you let go of the bar, you have to keep your head up and your palms open and let the catcher catch you, not the other way around. Sounds like pretty good wisdom for navigating change. If you have never had a personal encounter with Christ, like the one Saul experienced on the road to Damascus, know that that's how real change begins. When you first let go of a painful or impressive past and take hold of a personal relationship with God, through faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to tell you more about that. Just send me an email, brian with a y at grace.org. And if you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, let's keep our heads up and our palms open as we head into this new year. Because with Christ, every change is an opportunity to be changed and to become the person and the church God is calling us to be. So as we close, let me allow you just a moment or two to think about what you might need to let go of and take hold of as we head into this new season. 
And then I'll close us in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness through all the changes we've experienced over the years, personally and as a church. Thank you for the wisdom we found in your word in this series, for the promise that you will be there for us and with us in the days to come. Give us courage and faith, Lord, to let go, reach forward, and take hold of all that you have in store for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.